Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name. And we're still here. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, it's Daniel Smooth from Time to BS. Thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. And I got something to tell you all today. If you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, it's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need all in one simple place. Let me explain before we start the show. Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or even your computer. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on listening platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and even and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one simple place. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. So what are you waiting for? Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Thanks for tuning in, guys, and enjoy the show. Hello, friends. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Time to BS Podcast, part of the Unhinged Sports Network. Now, to thank the sponsors who support this show. Are you looking for your team's favorite gear at the best prices? Look no further than Fanatics.com. Fanatics is a proud sponsor of the Unhinged Sports Network and Time to BS Podcast. Fanatics has some great deals all day, every day. Get your fan on at Fanatics.com. U Stadium is home to the best sports fans around. Chat and debate with fans every day and win some great prizes along the way. U Stadium has supported us since the very beginnings of our show at the days of the Sports Cave. And you can support them too. Download U Stadium on Apple and Google today. Time to BS Studios is home to Time to BS Podcasts, the Sports Cave, and BS Sessions. Follow us on social media on Twitter and Instagram. At Time to BS Podcast for updates on future episodes. The Sports Cave streams live weekly on YouTube and BS Sessions is home to the realest talk around. Join the BS Army and follow us on our journey today. Thanks for tuning in guys to all of those advertisements. Now, as they always say in theaters, enjoy the show guys. Ladies and gentlemen, we fucking made it. It's time to BS. It's not one of my uh, my proudest moments. That's for and sure. You paid the price this Sunday for it. You paid the piper. Yes. Oh, yeah. oh thank you, Karma. The Church Karma. of Josh Allen. Karma. The yes. The Church of Josh Allen. The Church of Josh Allen. All these sins against you. Yes. The Church of Josh Allen is, is not pleased with me right now. A U Stadium podcast. Grace. Grace. 
Uh, still struggling? Shut <laughs> And part of the Unhinged Sports Network. And now to start your weekend with us. It's time to BS. Hello and welcome to another episode of Time to BS Podcast. We are here for episode 107 live on the Unhinged Sports Network every Friday night at 10 p.m. Eastern Time. I got you covered wherever you get your podcasts. I am Daniel Smooth. We got some stuff to talk about, as per usual. I got you covered here for the next two hours, so you're stuck with me. Or you could go to sleep, but regardless, I got you covered. Um, tons to get to. In the middle of the show, we got an exclusive interview with uh, European Hall of Fame quarterback Stan Bedwell. Fun time. Fun time indeed. But um, let's... Uh, Let's get to some. Uh, let's get to some sports talk. So, I'm in a good mood. I'm in a very good mood. The Islanders are, as I'm recording this, Game Seven is to, as, uh, f- well, whatever happens, is whatever happens. I'm I'm only gonna say this. Um, whatever happens, this is the best feeling in the world. Um, as an Islander fan, of course. I mean. Um, sorry, I'm just talking back and forth with the friends and shit. So if it sounds like I get distracted, I am. I'm very distracted. But it's a good time to be an Islander fan. Whatever happens, just feel grateful. Feel grateful for the journey. And it feels great knowing that, you know, you have management and, you know, ownership coaching it feels great that you have all those things that actually care about the team like they actually care about the team it feels great and enough me rambling about the islanders but we got some uh we got some stuff all massive comes out as gay not gonna lie that's heartwarming that's heartwarming as hell. Because, I mean, surely it doesn't happen that much in, in sports that you got, you know, gay or lesbian athletes. I mean, you have Megan Rapinoe, who's probably the most famous one. But over in the U.S. women's national soccer team. Um, um, but... It's heartwarming because someone I know recently came out as, uh, as bisexual, and he loves all the support that he's been getting, and, you know, it feels good knowing that you have hope for a better tomorrow, and like a brighter tomorrow in this world, I mean, fuck everything else. I mean, it feels great knowing that you have a chance for a better tomorrow in general. And it's great to know. It's it's fantastic to know um, that you have, you know, 
players like Carl Nassib who are giving, you know, athletes who want to come out, like, give them hope. Just give them hope in general. And it's, it's heartwarming to see, you know, stuff like that. So, I'm only going to cover that short because no one is here to join me, unfortunately. Because, hello, I am alone. I am alone in this in this cave of spots and bullshit. But, what else is there? Um, what else is there going on? Ah, yes, the Seattle Kraken have hired former Flyers head coach Dave Haxtell to be the first head coach in franchise history. That's nothing new. It's nothing major. Uh, the 76ers can go fuck themselves. Uh, because they're pieces of shit, and basically they're overbearing. So, fuck them. Fuck the, uh... Fuck the Nets in particular, too. Fuck them especially. Good God. I mean, just... I mean, they did it themselves. I mean, you invest heavily in offense, and you can't defend. I mean, the Broncos learned this in Super Bowl Forty-Eight. You're welcome, Mike. Um, but in like a god honest nutshell, I mean, this was coming. This was coming for the Nets. It was coming. I mean, James Harden can't defend. Kyrie Irving kind of can defend. Kevin Durant, same shit. I mean, you invested heavily in three ball hoggers who don't play defense for the most part and just... There's a reason why this series went to seven. And ultimately, the Nets lost in seven. It's because Milwaukee was better defensively. Duh. I mean, no shit. So. (sighs) What else is going on? I got a whole note section for this crap. But. Ah, yes, the NCAA. NCAA. Oh, yeah, they lost a Supreme Court case for athletes to get paid. Here's where my thoughts are on this. I'm torn on it. I'm relatively torn because, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's interesting. It's also really late, and... Excuse me, probably should begin to sleep soon, but figure you get my thoughts on this quickly. Oops. I'm out of time, per se. Um, I do have a story to tell, but I'll wait until whenever the guys get back. But it feels good that things are getting back to normal, per se. It feels good that, you know, you get certain situations that are just getting back to normal. So, I mean, oh, yeah, it's fun. It's fun. So, let's go into the interview with Stan Bedwell, and I'll see you guys later on the show. It's time to BS. Ah! 
Mr. Sveshnikov! A U Stadium podcast. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 107 of Time to BS podcast. I am your host, Daniel Smooth, Dan Cruz. Joining me for a nice little sit down, former former quarterback Stan Bedwell. How you doing, my man? Good to see you. Good. I, I thought you were going to say a very special guest. Indeed, they they always say that. They always say very special <laughs> guest, but you know, well, I, I wouldn't feel special if you said it. <laughs> if you said that 106 other times, I wouldn't feel very special anyway. I'm a, I'm a certain. Well, I'm a special kind of wise ass, if you don't put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> How you doing, my man? Thank you for thank you for taking your time good. with this. Uh, the, I got all the time in the world right now. I'm back home in Arkansas visiting family, and it's basically this is my only chance I get to talk to humans. The rest of it's just talking to my dog. Oof. <laughs> well, how is it? Uh, how is life as a as a former pro quarterback? I mean, because I was looking over your your accomplishments. You got 101 wins. I mean, 36,000 passing yards. I mean. 11-time MVP. I mean, you spent most of your time in Europe, you said, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, since basically my entire career up until the spring league this year. So it's pretty much a one-trick pony. And then, you know, kind of lucked into my – with my connection I have with Coach Mummy to – All right. Well, an opportunity more, in the spring league. Yeah, well, tell me more about uh, your, your career over in Europe. How, how different is it compared to – over here in the states well it, it's it's incredibly diverse because you know if you take the top teams in europe top teams in germany for example then i think that they would fit in quite well with say the spring league okay um if you take you know even the first league of some of the more developing countries like romania which i played in 2019 you know, that's going to be on par with a really low-level Division three type team. Okay. So it's, uh, you know, it's quite diverse. And you'll have these levels that's really low, but then there might be two former NFL players. You know, you might have a team where the starting middle linebacker and Sam linebacker both played for Division ones or in the NFL. And then the Will linebacker is like 5'9", 170, and 17 years old. <laughs> so, you know, so or I don't like how I played in high school. <laughs> or or he's forty eight years old. You know, so you just you you get so much diversity, and the same thing you know with fans. Uh, you watch the German Championship, you might get twenty five thousand people at that. You watch the um, Romanian Championship in two thousand nineteen when we played there, and there was about three hundred. So nice. You know, you and you go from playing in massive professional stadiums to you know i've played in some countries like serbia i played literally in pastures so it's it's really hard to uh like nail it down to one thing because it sounds different no it sounds so different it sounds incredibly different and you just you don't know where you're gonna be it's like oh i don't know if i'm gonna play you know i don't know if like a cornfield or whatever or if I'm going to play oh, yeah. a three hundred thousand seat stadium, like you said, or like you said before. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's very. You know, I've been places where 
there was no bathrooms. There was just like a little outhouse with like a hole cut out if you needed to, you know, use a bathroom. So you kind of have to squat. You got to improvise somehow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, other places, I mean, it's, you know, as nice a locker rooms as you get at, you know, Division One colleges here. It's just completely diverse in every single way. Um, it says here you have a, a, a the European League record for 11 touchdown passes in a single game. Um, take me through that. Were you, you were just, you must have been on during that whole game. You were just like, you know what? I feel like I'm going to go 11 touchdown passes today. Let's see how, let's see how it goes. And well, I had nine at halftime. I had nine at halftime. I tried, we tried not to score in the second half, but (laughs) it's just one of those things that, I mean, I could take credit or I could give credit to the other team because the Verbus Hunters in 2009 Serbian football were not a powerhouse. So Serbian, Serbian football, that's the cold. Were you playing in the – what was the coldest you were You were involved well, in? Well, Serbia is not Siberia, which would oh, be cold as shit. Siberia. Oh, yeah. man. Serbia, Serbia, yeah, you're, you're eastern – Southeastern Europe, it's hot as hell there. It's oh, probably okay. the hottest place. That's probably the hottest place I've ever played besides maybe Houston on Saturday. <laughs> we played the game there. It was I, I've heard I've heard talk that it that the temperature on the turf was 130 degrees this past Saturday. Yes. And I, I wouldn't doubt that. It was terrible. Oof. No uh, co- coldest probably. I mean, I played in Finland several years. Um never really had a cold game. That. But I have practices where, you know, the wind chill would be negative, negative 25, negative 30, and we'd be out there th- trying to throw the ball around and stuff. You know, you'd have to shave because your entire beard would freeze while you were out there, and it would just be – I'd look like I was Santa Claus out there. <laughs> now, you prefer – do you prefer playing in the heat or you prefer playing in the cold? <laughs> Either, really. give me like give me like 65 or 70 and sunny with a slight breeze and i'll be a happy man yeah that sounds like i've never been to arkansas but that sounds like good arkansas weather maybe northwest i mean we're from southwest down near the near the texas border near texarkana so where we're at it gets pretty dang hot all right i'm stuck here on long island here in the uh here in new york so oh nice nice yeah yeah but um I mean, we get we get pretty uh we get cold during the uh, during the usual football season over in, uh, fall and because I'm I'm smack on the water and mm. the wind chill coming straight for us like we had this one time um, I played linebacker and I played linebacker and primarily as a pass rusher um, we had this one practice I remember this like it was, like it was yesterday freezing rain like twelve degree rain it was awesome. And we were doing sprints the whole day, whole practice. We were doing sprints the whole time. It was great. Uh, what was your favorite kind of practice that you remember throughout your career? I know it's a very obscure question, but. Yeah, the, the CTE makes it hard to, for me to remember a lot of it. Uh... <laughs> it's dark. <laughs> mm, I don't know. I mean, I, I'd say, you know, for the last – since I learned this air raid stuff, I mean, you basically practice the same way every single practice when you're doing that. So pretty much everywhere that I've been been for the last 
13 or 14 years, we practiced pretty much the same way. I guess I can remember a youth practice where, where we um, just split up the teams and decided to have a game, which, I mean, I'm sure that's pretty common at that age group. But I remember at halftime, we went to use the bathroom, and I was – like, we, we had this tree line where we'd go pee because, you know, we're in Arkansas and we don't have bathrooms. And uh, there was this defensive lineman named Ralph Morrison who was really big, and he got a cheap shot on me in the first half. And so he took off his pads to use a bathroom and, and I went over and I pissed on his shoulder pads in Jersey. <laughs> so that, that, that was a pretty good practice. That sounds like fun. <laughs> yeah. That, then the worst part is he, he put it back on and kept practicing. I don't think he realized it because, well, he, he was a really big guy and he was very sweaty. So. <laughs> yeah. He got covered up somehow. Yeah. Pr- probably pissed off my, whoever, whatever old lineman had to block him the rest of the <laughs> Oh, that sounds great. <laughs> uh, well, how does a progress now a progression as a quarterback usually the same in the uh, in Europe as opposed to the States, or is it different? Or is it different uh, defensive alignments? Um, I mean, I would say that if you're looking at defenses, it's again, it's just diverse. I mean, you know, you play some places where the level is so. It's in such an infancy stage that they're only playing, you know, cover two or cover four or one or three. Wow. Um, you know, always one high, always two high, things like that. I mean, you play, you play some places where, you know, you're seeing as many coverages as what you're going to see, say, in the spring league or in, you know, a high-level college. But, right. uh, I mean, as, as a whole – you know, I'd say from all my time of coaching, because I've coached junior college football for a long time, came back and did that in the fall for five years, and coached Division three for two seasons. And I'd, I'd say, on average, it's probably pretty similar to what we were seeing in small college ball. You know, in the spring league, despite the small amount of practice time, there was – and the fact that we could only – that we basically had to have a four-man front defensively you still saw, you know, so many different wrinkles and so many coverages. That, that was something that was um, – that I thought was actually pretty cool. Yeah. It was um, pretty challenging for me, not so much reading the defense and making the throws, but, you know, reading the defense and helping to make the right play calls or, you know, coaching Ryan up on the sideline when he came over to make sure we were all on the same page with what they were doing. Was your run up – certain audibles to piss off your coaches because i i would talk to a couple quarterbacks and they they say they were running a couple like cheap on like cheap shot audibles to like point fingers at their coach like yeah i did that suck it <laughs> would you ever uh, like that? like my actual coach or the opposing <laughs> like coach you call, like your offensive coordinator would call the play and yeah. you would change the play like mid form like mid like mid formation like you would change the play. I've talked to a couple of quarterbacks that have done that out of, you know, out of a joke per se. And it would actually yeah. go pretty well. Would you end up doing that? Well, the, the game that I that I got in and played quarterback um, in the spring league, you know, mommy like, told me to go in and just ice the game running it. And my second play, I like checked to all verticals. <laughs> Ended up scrambling and getting my head knocked off. Uh, but, uh, and then he, he, he he yelled at me pretty good about that. And then 
few plays later in the drive, I checked to another pass uh, through a screen, and that's when we scored. That's when when I had my pass touchdown or whatever. Beautiful. But uh, yeah, he he was pretty pissed at me because I ended up throwing the ball like five times, and we only <laughs> called one pass. But I, I knew I wasn't going to play much in there, and I wanted to get mine too. So hey, you gotta get your uh, you gotta get your filling, you know? Yeah, I, I, I figured he'd forgive me, and I, I guess he has. <laughs> but maybe but no nah, i mean i don't know the, the thing about air raid and like i say it's it's hard to even think back before running this because basically anywhere i've been since 2009 it's what i've been doing and this offense in europe i've never had a coordinator i've called since my my first year our head coach called the plays but from 2007 on every snap in europe i called my own plays Nice. And then I was from 2009 on outside of maybe one year, I was, I was the head coach, offensive coordinator and quarterback at the same time. So, oh wow. Yeah. I kind of did it all. That's, that's not something they really talk about on TV, but how about, all, that's very rare. To, that's very rare. To like, yeah, I've never heard of that actually. Yeah. That, there's been a few others that have done it in Europe. I, I'm sure I've probably done it longer than anyone else has because I I did that for a really long time. And, and I think like the total games in Europe, it's a lot more than the, you know, 101 wins if you count just the coaching because I also had um, about three or four seasons that I only coached and didn't play. So... I had a few elbow surgeries that kept me out. And then one year I just, I got an opportunity to go coach in the GFL highest level of Germany. So I went and did that and just coached once. How was coaching for you? How was, was coaching a lot like easier for you as opposed to playing? Or would you, if you had to pick between coaching or playing, what would you, what would you do? Uh, I definitely prefer playing. Um, and I probably, Trippy Toe would have played, you know, for forever. I, I, I kind of thought about this. I've, I've thought about this a lot because my plan, I was actually signed as a head coach and quarterback for a team in Finland since January. And I was booking my flight to go there when I got the text from Coach Mommy asking me to, to come to the spring league with him. And it's been my plan still that as soon as I, the spring league ended, I was going to go over to Finland with that team and they've been very, they're very gracious waiting on me to, you know, not be there in the preseason. Actually their first game was the same day that we had the, the mega bowl last Saturday, but they've waited this whole time for me. And that's heartwarming. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it was, it was actually, it was really cool that they, you know, committed to me that much and it made me feel like a real ass whenever Monday I called them and said, look, I'm, I'm not coming. Oof. But it was just—I don't know. I, like I said it seemed like a movie, almost like a rite of passage. Like I showered up, walked back out on the field just to go get one last glimpse at it because I didn't do that. Our last game that we played in um, in Indy at Lucas Oil—that's um, when we we hit a field goal with basically no time left to win it. And you know, it was so much excitement there. We celebrate, then we go off the field. And then, you know, we're trying to go back to the hotel and celebrate some more. And you don't really think about, like, taking in the moment. 
Yeah. Of just like the fact that, hey, I just played the last five weeks in a NFL stadium where Peyton Manning and, you know, Johnny, you yeah. well, I don't know if Johnny, you played there. He oh, actually didn't, but, uh, I mean, I you know, Baltimore, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, Peyton Manning, Andrew and Marvin Harrison, and Andrew, Andrew you know, all, all of these guys, yeah. right? All of these guys have played yeah. there. I mean, Philip Rivers, right? And, and, uh, I didn't take that in. So, and I thought like, man, I never thought like, well, we're not, cause we played our last game at Butler university because there was like a monster truck rally or something uh, at, at Lucas hole <laughs> that weekend. But, you know, I regretted that not just kind of looking back at it one more time and being like, okay, this was awesome. So I was like, okay, let's go out and see this and take it in. And it's like the second I hit the field, I was just kind of like, ah, this is, this is kind of a good way to end it. I mean, I could go back to Europe and win another championship, but what's really the difference between five over there or six over there? Or at the same time, it's like I could go over there and lose, and then I'm the type of competitor that if I lost, I'd be like, well, of course I'm going to go back next year because I have to win one. I got to oh, end yeah. it on top. So it was just kind of a – there's really nothing left to prove over there. And, I mean, I'm not – the spring league was definitely like the pinnacle of a level I'm going to play. You know, I, I never went into it with a mindset that I'm going to be a 36 year old, you know, five foot 10 rookie quarterback in the NFL or anything like that. Uh, for me, it was all about going there and actually making those connections to hopefully springboard the coaching career to the professional level. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, right now there's so much happening with, uh, you know, the XFL in 23, but more exciting for me right now is the USFL and, you know, coming next spring. And, I mean, you know, from being there with the spring league and kind of getting a little bit of insight of the business plan for what they're doing there, uh, it seems completely sustainable. You know, TV is always a huge issue with basically spring leagues live and die by television and television ratings. And when you have Fox as one of the main owners of the league, you're in pretty good shape. Yeah. And, you know, it seems good and it seems like there's a lot of opportunities there. And, you know, we're kind of keeping fingers crossed that that that's – that there's going to be some opportunities coaching there. And so now it's just kind of waiting to see how all of that pans out. That's awesome. I mean, that's, that's definitely after coaching college, you know, seven seasons of college ball and then just getting the taste of the professional ball this year. It's definitely, um, it's what I'd like to do. Now it's, it's 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 a completely different level. The mentality, the you don't have to say things over and over again. You don't have to deal with pissed off parents. No, um, <laughs> you know, it's, I, I I loved it, man. Loved everything about it. Good shit. Um, going back to to you saying that one of your biggest regrets about not taking it all in when you were leaving Lucas Oil Stadium over in Indianapolis, um, is that the biggest regret you've you know, you've had throughout your career playing and or coaching? No, I mean, there's definitely, you know, if I go back and I look at some places in Europe, um, there's 
there's places that I didn't perform to the level that I knew that I could um, as a player or as a coach. And I mean, basically any season that I didn't win a championship, I have a lot of regrets for because, you know, we, we didn't do the job that we were, that we set out to do. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I can, I could look back on a ton of those or, you know, just individual plays of my first championship game I made in Europe. We lost uh, by one point. We scored with about a minute left in Finland, went for, went for the two point conversion and the win. And um, then I, it was a bootleg pass and I ended up hitting our running back right in the chest in the corner of the end, front of the end zone. And he dropped it. Ooh. But, you know, going back, I've questioned the play call of that. And there's a lot better play calls that could have been made in that situation, I think. Uh, I mean, that one could have worked. But really, any play can work if you execute it well. But there, there, there's a lot of better plays we could have ran. And I mean, that one haunted me for two years until, like, well, a year and a half until we won the championship the next, the next time I played. But, I mean, I actually – I lost sleep over that one for a full year just replaying that play in my mind. And probably the most regrets would be that certain plays that you – you look back on and think like, you know, why did I throw that ball or why did I make that play call? We should have ran it more. We should have done this or that. I, um, I have a big regret that I've had when I played. Um, here on the island, we had this team. Uh, we had a team that was uh, on a 21-game winning streak and there was, uh, there was like a 12-game. <laughs> Every time. Come on. Oh, well, you gotta be you gotta be more professional. I have my phone on silent here. What, uh, what are we doing? No, it was an, it was an alarm. It was an alarm because I uh I have a trainer and I was I was supposed to send him a tracking like a meal tracking sheets. Oh, and I, I have it set for uh, seven thirty every day, and it just goes off. I completely I lost track of time. <laughs> oh. Ladies okay, back back to your story. I mean, you, you looked real. At least that made you smile again because yeah, you brought up the regret, and then your face looked just yeah down in the dumps, really sad. I mean, we, we had do a, we really uh, want to go down this rabbit hole right now? No, it's it's good. It's it's good because uh, <laughs> it was the last game of my uh of my uh football of my football life. You gonna put it that way? Uh, I good. didn't play in college. I didn't play in. A, I I wanted to play in college, but I I wasn't at that right skill set per se. We were on mm -hmm. this team we were playing against. It was in the second round of a playoff game, and they were on a 21 game undefeated streak. They were the reigning champions, and it was 14 to 6. We we were down 14 to 6 for a majority for 57 minutes of that game. And we thought, all right, it's going to be a defensive slugfest. We had them too, and um, they kicked the crap out of us in the regular season, like 49, seven. And we had mm -hmm. them for most of the game and they were on their own 10 or 15 yard line. Uh, and they were trying to run the ball the whole time. So we knew a play action pass was coming. We didn't see the tight end going straight up the same 85 yards, 85 yards, touchdown. Oh, them damn tight ends get you every time, man. every time. Every time the tight ends, every time. Not usually the running backs, but um, it's usually the tight ends out of nowhere. And 
Oh man. But that was uh it was a bittersweet moment per se. It was my co it was my coach's last game. It was my last game. So I figured, you know what? If we're gonna go out, we go out in style. And we were just uh one of the players that I, on the opposing team I'm still good friends with him. He talks about it's like, hey, you remember that tight end scene? It's like, yeah, thanks, asshole. <laughs> yeah. They were a really yeah, yeah. great they were a great team then. They were a really good team. Oh but um oh geez, now I got memories. I'm like I cause I got my high school jersey somewhere in this pile of apartment. <laughs> this has been a a fa- like a family reunion here. So since we've started this, my I heard my grandma, my grandma walked outside. I heard her talking, and then I heard my parents' voices. So my parents came to visit her. They brought her some cucumbers. Oh, that sounds great from the garden. Yeah, that sounds great. Slice them up, grow them up. <laughs> I've been ate all. I've been ate all day. Jeez, jeez. Yeah. That, that that is the fun thing about coming back home for a bit and seeing family is they usually. You know, that Southern cooking usually get some pretty good food every night. Oh, yeah. I mean, the farthest down south I've been was the, uh, was over in the Carolinas. Hey, Grandma, do you want to come and say hi? <laughs> you can come wave. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to scare him. <laughs> how you doing? How you doing? <laughs> he said, how are you doing? I'm hey. doing okay. Oh, <laughs> You see, I so, work here tonight, so I probably can't hear you, but hi. <laughs> <laughs> y'all have fun. Y'all have fun. <laughs> that was heartwarming. <laughs> that was heartwarming as all hell. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's what I try to do. This is a family oh, program. Now, family has always been your biggest supporter, no matter what. I mean, no matter what you're doing. You're always going, you're always putting family first above anything, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, you know, my, especially my immediate family. I don't know. I'm, this is bad. And I hope that a ton of my family doesn't watch it because it'll come off a lot worse than it is. But, you know, there's like the big wide families of, oh, you got your aunts and your uncles and your cousins and your aunts and all that stuff. And then everybody's like, and, and this is like an American culture thing where everybody's like, we throw out love, like, oh, you're my cousin that I've never met. I love you. And it's like, do I really love this cousin I've never met? See, I don't I mean, blame you on that one. I don't blame you on that one. I've been through that before. You, you know, you know, there's that thing. But then there's like, you know, for me, it's like, all right, obviously my parents, my brother, and then, um, you know, my, especially my mom's, on my mom's side, her mom and dad, which this is uh, my grandma here. Um, yeah, that was like who raised me. And uh, my grandpa, he passed up my grandma's uh, husband. He, he passed away while I was in Romania in 2019. And that was like, you know, pretty tough for one of the yeah. probably five closest people in the world to me that I wasn't, you know, here when that happened. And so now I really, really, and I did before to an extent, but now I really make a point of, Basically every day when I'm, if I'm back home visiting, that I'm over here hanging out with grandma. And, of course. Yeah. So. Of course. 
Yeah, got to hang out with them while you can, man. Yeah, cherish the moments you have. Cherish the mm. moments you have with the people you care about the most. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, but, um, my dog, when my dog passed away a couple uh, two years ago, I got his paw print tattooed on my on my forearm. Uh, now, now you're gonna make me cry. Oh, I'm sorry, brother. Let's <laughs> <laughs> well, see. I, I got yeah. I, I got my my dog, and uh, I got him actually in Romania. I got him um a few weeks. I got him well, like not long after my grandfather had passed, but I got a, a Bichon Frise or Bichon. People here call him Bichon Freeze. I don't know if that's English or if I just say it wrong all the time. I was French, so I'm pretty sure coming from France, it would be like Frise or some or something. That sound he sounds more fancy when I say that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I got my dog Bobby, and he's been everywhere with me. And then everybody always like clowns about the name Bobby and. And I named him after my childhood best friend who had a car accident and passed away in 18 as well. So that's always like a good way of people being like, that's a stupid name for a dog to me. Just I, I kind of set them up to make them feel like shit whenever I'm like, oh, yeah. Name him after my best friend. Thank you. Yeah. Thank yeah. you for calling his name stupid. Yeah. There you go. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. 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 This, this is just talk, took a dark turn. Oh man! Now, now, now we can talk about critical race theory and abortion. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. I love your personality. I love it. We only just met. I already love it. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah. Take take away from the dark turn in morning to the happy side. Um, if you could name your five or like one of your favorite plays to run throughout your career or in coaching. What was your favorite play to run? Was it always, was it a bootleg? Because you said you were, know. you said you were a, you said you you, you said you were a five ten quarterback. You said, yeah, that, that's that's being generous. At five ten, <laughs> I'm five ten. I'm definitely I'm five eleven with cleats on. <laughs> so uh, now would you consider, now would you consider yourself to be like a like a more mobile guy or just like sit there, throw throw darts. Um, I definitely prefer to be a pocket guy, but I've I've always been really good at improvising. I'd say earlier in the career, before I learned the air raid offense, it was I was definitely more of a rollout type guy. Yeah. But then, you know, when when you learn the air raid, the whole thing about the offense is you have a little bit wider splits, and now you're not throwing over the line, and you're throwing between the linemen. Really? And then with the experience of running it, you know, you get used to that, that you're throwing between them. And it's not about, oh, I got to see over these, you know, six, six guys. I, I, I see between them. Really? Yeah. So that's where, you know, you find your windows there. Uh, for me, it was always four verticals because it's, I, I think it's the most unstoppable play in all of football. And it's not like, oh, the Hail Mary, let's throw it deep. But you just there's so much field to defend because you can throw back shoulder fades, you can bend them to grass. Um, you know, you outside release your receivers. If it's manned by the defenders, they're gonna have to completely receiver outside releases them, they're gonna have to turn towards the receiver, which puts their back away from you, where like their back towards you, their eyes are away from you. And so you really just you attack leverage and you attack defenders' eyes. And if it's zone, you attack, you know, the field zones. 
And so I, I've always loved four verts because you just come out and run it over and over again. And, you know, I'd, I'd probably through my career as an OC and it probably like people would probably argue that I did it even more, but I'd say probably average running four verts about 25 times a game. Nice. <laughs> now, now I might throw the ball deeper than 30 yards once or twice in that, but it's literally just about the spacing of, you know, I'd say on average it's probably about 15 yards is where the ball is 15 to 20 is where it's getting caught. And it all depends on where the, where the, uh, the, the DBs align to, right? Yeah. I mean, if you're pressing and there's no safety help, uh, I'm going to find, you know, on the outside of the corners are pressing, I'm going to catch and throw. I'm going to catch and throw my best matchup. Um, you know, if it's one high, I always feel like basically everything beats one high. If it's one high and you're getting a man, then again, just pick your matchup. If it's zone, then it's going to be most likely a, say, a cover three type look. And then you're going to really work the seams there. And with the, the way we run verts, there's so many plays built in that we teach man turn and zone turn by the defenders. If they zone turn, which is shoulders, like they're turning their numbers in towards the quarterback. We teach those outside receivers to kind of get lost and drop off almost like a comeback. Um, we teach the inside receivers, you know, if they can't win deep, once they get to 10 yards, they make a decision. If I can't win, if the safety's bailing, I can't win deep, I'm just going to settle it up at 10 yards. Or depending on, you know, what we're teaching, one might settle at 10 yards if you can't win deep, and the other might bend it and have the whole middle of the field more like a post. So, so much is into that. And we could also always tag hitches or, you know, our flat routes. Uh, we call it Friday. That's five-yard outs. You know, we can just tag that too. So, you know, we can stick with an inside hitch by, you know, a slot receiver if he's uncovered. <laughs> it just becomes a play that you can basically line up and run it over and over again. And it looks like, you know, if you took the film of those, say, if I ran it 25 times, a defensive coordinator, if he's charting the plays where the receivers are going, he might drop 20 different things. But it's this, it's just one play. And just the diversity of that play is a, definitely why I love it. Not, and also, I mean, the mesh play is a great concept. I think any true air raid, any true air raid person really loves the mesh play as well. Now, uh, do you watch, do you watch uh, a ton of college football? Uh, sometimes. Oh yeah, I watch a lot of college football. So, what was you, now when the air raid was at its peak in college, which was maybe a few years ago, particularly Texas, like Texas Tech with Cliff, with Cliff, yeah, Cliff Kingsbury was mm -hmm. running over at Texas Tech with Patrick Mahomes and Baker Mayfield and, and so on. Um, which college offenses were your favorite to watch? I mean, I don't know if, you know, people talk of peak. I mean, I'd say every year the air raid peaks more and more because more and more teams are running it. It's just becoming so normal now. You know, Oklahoma is definitely – Lincoln Riley's an air raid guy. Oh, you – oh, my friend you know, Mike would love you already. <laughs> yeah. He's an Oklahoma uh, – he's he's born and raised in Oklahoma. Big Sooner guy. He lo loves but, Lincoln Riley to the core. Oh, I mean, he's, he's phenomenal. But, yeah, I mean, there, there's so many of them. Uh, for me, though, it's, if I'm talking major college football favorite offenses, it's basically – I mean, I fell in love with it with um, Mummy and Leach running it at Kentucky with Tim Couch back in the 
you know, 97, 98, 99 around then. But, um, you know, really, really when Mike Leach was at Texas Tech, so that was 2001 to 2010, nine or 10, um, love, really love that. And then following him at Washington State and, you know, excited to see when he gets his guys in at, at Mississippi State, what they're going to do because, you know, this year there was a talk of all the, will it work in the SEC? And I mean, it's, it's been working in the SEC. Yeah. Johnny Manziel ran it for years in the SEC. You know, it's not that people haven't ran it. It's just people need to have talking points to talk about. And yeah. so it's easy to make it sound like, oh, it just finally came back. But it's been around. Yeah. And it'll like, stay around. Yeah. From like a quarterback perspective, you can tell like, oh, yeah, with certain teams or with certain players in certain teams, you know, it's like, oh, yeah. Like, let's say throw Penn State in there, for example, because Penn State fan. Like I say, oh, it's it could work in the Big Ten. Like from a quarterback perspective, you could tell me, yeah, it's gonna work if they got the right players and and stuff like that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's a simple offense. You know, people build up the air raid like it's, oh, is this gonna work here? Because, you know, the defenses are fast, or oh, the receivers are pretty damn fast in the SEC yeah, too. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, there's, there, there's. I think everything is always relative. You know, when people say, well, you can't run the forever. People said you can't run, you know, the read option in the NFL because those DNs are just so fast. Yeah, you can. And I mean, I'd say that, you know, Lamar Jackson would probably tell you that's not true. Yeah. Uh, I, I just, I think that people always want to be talk. experts. And <laughs> going to have show you my favorite football team. You're probably going to get surprised for someone who lives in New York. But uh, I have one ring to show that. <laughs> the Seahawks. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, well that – or I mean, just – I think the t- stereotypes and taboo, like all these things that people try to put anything in boxes, like this offense or these quarterbacks, right? Yeah. Like Russell Wilson, you know, it would have been how easy to say – well, you could say – I mean, and I'm glad that we're getting past this to a big extent, but it was like, oh, black quarterback must transition to wide receiver in the NFL if he's fast at all. And, you know, it's it's awesome seeing these quarterbacks that are – I mean, I think Russell Wilson's phenomenal. Yeah. And, you Trying know – Alex, but he's phenomenal. <laughs> yeah, he's incredible. Or, I mean, there's just so many talented guys that now – in the past, it was like, well, if you're a runner, can you play quarterback? Or, you know, if you are an air raid guy, that was a stigma for a long time. Air raid guys, oh, he threw for the, this many yards in college, but it doesn't translate to the NFL. You know, they haven't taken snaps under center. And it's like, okay, like my peewee coach taught me to take snaps under center. Yeah. If you're paying a guy like, $10 million and he can't one he can't learn to take the snap under center or two you can't teach him then the whole system's messed up there you go and you know I love seeing these guys now like you know Baker Mayfield and Patrick Mahomes they're these guys that come from air raid systems that are just absolutely killing it oh my god yeah and I mean it, it's a great thing to see and you know hopefully we'll get to the point that one day it's not going to be about size or 
how you look or what system you ran, but just your production on the field. Yeah. Oh, you got me thinking, all right, I sh- the Seahawks should implement the air raid system. You got me hooked on the air raid now. <laughs> That's beautiful. <laughs> and, well, yeah, I mean, it's – and I'm still waiting for somebody. You know, there's staples of the air raid all over the NFL. Everybody's running some forms of mesh. Everybody's obviously running verticals, um, you know, different types of flood routes and crossing routes. It's all there. But, you know, I'd be excited to see – because you, you get all these guys that go to the NFL, like, you know, you see Cliff Kingsbury go. And, yeah, there's definitely – you see some staples of the air raid, but it's a very – it's more pro style than it is air raid at this point. Yeah. Or you saw, say, Chip Kelly when he went and it was like, oh, he's going to bring the breakneck speed spread option to the NFL. And there was elements of it at times, but, you know, it was a lot more of just pro. It was more pro style than anything else. And I understand that. I understand it because when you have so much turnover with coaches and with players, you almost have to run something similar throughout and have a pretty similar terminology, or there's no way you could pick up this guy week 13 and he's playing the next Sunday and knows the plays and the calls. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so you, you got to keep things kind of similar for that. And and maybe that's why, um, you know, everyone kind of looks the same in the NFL. And that's what I love about college ball because it's, you got so many different systems. You got the flex bone teams and you got the, the pro style. You got air raid, you got run and shoot. I mean, I, I love the diversity of the offenses. The option offense, too. Oh, yeah, it's a blast. Oh. I mean, what's more fun than watching, like, a Paul Johnson Navy or Georgia Tech team go out there and just rip up 14 minutes off the clock against the number one team in the nation in scoring? It's it's a blast. I love it. Awesome. It's great. Uh, Stan, I appreciate the talk, my man. This was a ton of fun. Uh, you are more than welcome on whenever you'd like. Be sure to shoot me a message, my man. Again, thank you so much for taking your time to do this. <laughs> hey, no problem, man. Really appreciate it. Any Anytime you want to talk, just holler at me. Hell yeah, my man. Hell yeah. <laughs> all, right, got, all right, guys. We'll take a quick break and we'll move on to the next segment of the show. It's time to BS. If you could have four sandwiches to have for the rest of your life, what would they be? Now, there are rules to this. It can't be a burger. It can't be a hot dog. It can't be a quesadilla. A U-Stadium podcast. Sorry I have to cut this short, but due to time constraints, this show will be an hour long. So... It is unfortunate, but it is what it is. So, thank you for joining us for this episode of Time to BS Podcast. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow the podcast on wherever you get your shows. Don't forget to follow the Unhinged Sports Network and download the U Stadium app today. So, that's all for me, guys. Unfortunately, it is what it is, but thank you guys for tuning in. 
and we hope to see you around in the near future. Woo!